I think there's a common misconception about great interviews that the questions you prepare ahead of time and then ask one at a time, that is what yields amazing content. Now, there's no one way to conduct a great interview as a host, but I would suggest that we at least take some time today to question this common convention about, well, questions. And I don't know where this convention came from. I know that one of the biggest names in podcasting, Tim Ferriss, he's famous for asking clever questions. Like, if you had a billboard, what would it say? But the thing is, most of his questions are really simply stated. Some of the other legends, like NPR's Terry Gross, or tech journalist Kara Swisher, or Howard Stern, Bill Simmons, or Ira Glass, they all ask simple questions too, or even use basic prompts for the guests, like, tell me about... And maybe, how did it feel when? So I don't think it's your initial question set that makes a huge difference, to be honest. I think it's two other things. Two things that might be less obvious, but that can transform an interview into something listeners get lost in, in the best possible way. This is Three Clips. Hey there, I'm Jay Akunzo, and as a reminder, during quarantine, when schedules have been cut and I'm balancing daddy daycare with work, we're doing a version of three clips called Clipped, which is a shortened but still high-impact episode type. We're going to take one clip, analyze it, and understand it so we can all make better shows. Three Clips is the official podcast of Marketing Showrunners, which teaches makers and marketers to find and share their voices and make a difference through their podcasts. To me, that's what marketing is. You can learn more about MSR and subscribe at marketingshowrunners.com. This episode is sponsored by Casted, so a big thanks to them before we dive into our content today. Casted is our presenting sponsor across MSR, and they help marketers get more value from every episode of their podcasts, offering a platform that helps you manage, activate, and measure your show to engage your audience, align with your sales team, and quantify the value of your podcast. Learn more at casted.us. So what are these two less obvious but crucial elements of a great interview? The stuff that we can master beyond just planning out good questions ahead of time in our notes. These two elements that we need to get better at are setting the tone and asking follow-up questions. Setting the tone and asking follow-ups. To understand these two things, today we're going to listen to a clip from Brian Koppelman and his podcast, The Moment. But before we dive into the clip, just some basic facts about him and his show. Brian Koppelman has become something of an internet sensation, although he's done a lot more in traditional media that helped earn the trust and love of his online audience. Koppelman is a showrunner and a screenwriter most known for his movies, Rounders and Ocean's 13. And today, he's the co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer behind the popular TV show on Showtime, Billions. Koppelman's internet magic started when he used Vine to offer what he called six-second screenwriting lessons. Since March of 2014, he's hosted his podcast, The Moment, first as a part of ESPN's prestige sports and pop culture website, Grantland, and now on its own. RIP to the great Grantland. Man, I miss that site. The Moment, from Brian Koppelman, features interviews about the pivotal moments that fueled fascinating creative careers. And the host, in addition to being a thoughtful interviewer who, yes, asks great opening questions for each new moment of The Moment, he does that well. But he's also great at setting the tone and asking great follow-ups. 
This enables him to do something we all normally don't do that well as interviewers, but should do a lot more. But before we reveal what that is, let's first play the clip. This is from an interview with Melissa Villasenor, who's a stand-up comedian, an impressionist, and currently a cast member of Saturday Night Live. Now here's the clip. Pay careful attention to something that Koppelman does as they start to discuss her audition for SNL. Can you talk about um, your first SNL audition when you were 21? Yeah, I was 21. It was, I feel like, um, man, I had just started doing open mics and stuff, but I had a few good and solid impressions, you know, especially once since high school. So I uh, made a tape with my manager at that time. And then uh, I was doing a show in the belly room at the comedy store and Neil Brennan saw my impressions. And yes, I feel he had let someone, I think Seth Meyers know about me. And then I got an audition that summer. Wow. And yeah, I was a little baby. And then I, I killed the first one. I did great. And, and I knew it. I, and was uh, the first one I at, wait, was the, I have to, wait, I want to go slower. Was the first one at, SNL or was the first one like in a club they came to see you in a club? Oh no, it was at SNL. It was on the t- it was on the stage. Studio the very stage. first one. So you, your first one you came in there and you killed? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Ha- I, I mean, I was <laughs> I was very nervous. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, like did I you fly to New York for it? Did you fly to New York for it? Yeah. Flew to New York and then I I ran the the impression audition uh, at three different comedy clubs the night before. Okay, so Koppelman's very obvious yet smart opening question in this particular moment was to ask her about her SNL audition. Obviously, his listeners would want to know more about that. That's the planned question. But then, Villasenor starts to run through her story really quickly. I mean, a lot of people don't like talking about themselves, and it's even harder to make your bio or background sound super interesting. So naturally, she starts to pick up the pace and leave out key details. And then Koppelman does something that we all wish a lot of other hosts would do well, and I think we all wish or should wish that we can do this well as hosts ourselves. We have to get more comfortable doing what he does here. He interrupts her, and he tells her to go slower. Now, if you have a pre-existing relationship with a guest, that's no problem, right? There's enough trust built up that the interruptions or corrections or requests or even disagreements all feel okay. I already know this person, so I know the guest won't shut down when I ask them, hey, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Or I don't see it that way. Can you clarify? Or let me interrupt you here for a moment. They won't get defensive because you know them. But we need to find ways to earn that type of trust with our guests that we don't know personally. Imagine interviewing a big name in your industry. Maybe it's a big executive from some company you admire if you're like me and you host shows about the workplace. That type of person tends to generalize and give platitudes. Saying, hold on, no, 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 go slower, let's, let's do that. It could put them back on their heels. And that's a big issue because when you interrupt or correct, even gently, it could break the wrong way on you, even though you're trying to get better content, trying to get a better story. And now they're even more defensive and less open and more prone to the generalizations that you wanted to correct, to the sound bites you wanted to push past. So the rapport you're able to build matters, setting the tone. This moment inside of Koppelman's show comes at around 15 minutes into the episode. So that means that Via Senor and Koppelman have been talking for about 15 minutes 
on the mic and probably longer when you consider they had to do some zoom setup since this was recorded during quarantine they probably did some light banter and catching up before they hit record the whole time there's a warmth and that's established by koppelman's tone and maybe also his pre-existing knowledge of her work and acknowledgement of her work i mean he compliments her early on he chats with her as an admirer but also a fellow creator there's a bond that he's establishing so when he says during the clip we just heard no no go slower Correcting her doesn't feel like him trying to undermine her or transact her to get content from her. She trusts him. It's from a good place. If Koppelman had interrupted her and asked her to slow down too early in an episode, especially if he didn't have a relationship with her offline, it might have felt more combative because the trust wasn't fully built up. But there's been ample time so far for him to set the tone, 15 minutes and whatever happened before the hit record. Now, there's no one technique for doing this as a host, but anything you do comes back to the same underpinning lesson. You need to feel like you want the guest to feel. If you're rigid and going through a bunch of housekeeping and asking clearly canned questions, or you sound like an announcer, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> it's great to have Brian Koppelman. It's great to have Melissa Villasenor. So my first... Look, that's cartoonish, but I have personally been a guest on shows where I'm having a nice, pleasant chat with somebody, and then suddenly they hit record and they snap into a more rigid, more announcer-like feel. But if you're loose and having fun and joking, the guest will do that. Whatever tone you set early on is the tone they set. This is just how humans act. So what I'm saying here is a lot of this is about how you act to the guest. But also, a lot of this is about the conventional wisdom that you're forced to reject, or at least question, to act a certain way. Think of it this way. If you believe that a podcaster is just supposed to start with a bunch of housekeeping for the guest, because that's what people do, that's the conventional wisdom, it's really hard to be casual and loose and playful and warm when you're going through a bulleted list. Additionally, the conventional wisdom is to not record right away when the guest shows up, right? Give them that safe space, chat with them, give them a little bit of context, then say, okay, I'm going to hit record. But maybe it helps if you never have a single moment you build towards this important button you press. Okay, we're recording now. Instead, you can just always be recording and launch into a nice, friendly chat. And if they ask, oh, are we recording? You can say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just keep rolling and maybe cut out that part later. Or not, I've heard podcast hosts who don't do that. They don't cut it out later. The conventional wisdom here makes that the moment that you hit record into a moment, which causes the guest to stiffen up and maybe even struggle to give great answers. Maybe the conventional wisdom says, share questions ahead of time, but that might yield canned responses. Or maybe all that conventional wisdom I just mentioned is exactly what you should do. It's perfect for you, your show, and your guests. It's not about finding the one thing and sticking to it. It's about questioning what you're doing, interrogating your own process all the time so you can get better. And in this case, set the tone for the guest. Make sure you do. Set that tone up front before you hit record and during the early moments, project the feeling you want them to have too. That earns trust and lowers barriers so you can lightly interrupt or correct or ask for clarifications or for an entirely different answer. And if they trust you and go with you, you'll get better content and they won't feel quite so stiff or back on their heels when you ask for that stuff. So that's the first hidden truth. We need to set the tone. The second is to rely more on follow-up questions than your initial questions to deliver the great material you seek. 
Now, some of your follow-ups require you to set that initial tone of trust that we just talked about because they aren't merely asking for additional facts. Instead, the follow-ups might challenge the guest a little bit more. Go deeper. Can you reflect? Can you slow down and explain more details about this story? Or maybe your follow-ups defend a stance because you genuinely have one opinion and they have another. Or maybe you just ask them to clarify, hey, I've always thought of it this way, but you just said it's that way. Why do you think there's a difference in our belief systems? Just help me understand. As show hosts, we're always in danger of somebody rushing an answer or giving a generality or giving one side of the story. And it's important, it's imperative that we make sure we turn a topic over and over again, that we explore a story deeper and deeper and have a well-rounded approach to all the details and the reflection of those details by the guest. It's really difficult to do that if you allow them to give a one answer to your one question, then you move on. Unless you run a show based on gotcha journalism and sensationalism, which I'm guessing you don't, if your audience loves the final episode, if you serve the audience first and foremost, then they will love the guest and the guest will benefit. Looking out for the final episode experience is looking out for your guest. Allowing your guest to give poor answers or rushed answers or generalities with no follow-ups, that is not looking out for your guest. Because even though they feel it's an easy experience for them, they don't have to think critically, you're not challenging them, the thing is, the final episode is worse, so the audience doesn't like it as much. Looking out for your audience is looking out for your guest. Remember, if a guest doesn't deliver great material, that's not their fault, it's yours. Brian Koppelman is one of the world's foremost creative thinkers and writers, and he often interviews professional performers, people in the business of being thoughtful and charming and entertaining and great on a microphone. But even someone like Koppelman knows the value of setting the tone. And even someone like his guests can struggle to give great answers, so he has to ask great follow-ups. And that is why the moment is full of great moments. Set the tone, ask great follow-ups, and you'll capture some great moments too. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you're fascinated by this topic like I am, we can go deeper on it together once per week in our free weekly newsletter. It arrives every Friday and it's about one question for podcasters. What does it take to make someone's favorite show? We don't just look at the technique stuff, but rather the conceptual stuff, the heuristics and processes and big ideas that we can use to transform our work. Things like the experience spectrum, the style spectrum, the audience relationship pyramid, and the XY framework of podcast premise development. So what does it take to make your audience's favorite show? We're trying to figure that out every week. Subscribe for free at marketingshowrunners.com slash subscribe, or check your show notes for the link. Thank you to Casted for supporting us and this show. Learn more about their platform for marketers and get value out of your podcast episodes to build brand affinity. Visit casted.us. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe great marketing isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with me. And I'll talk to you on the next episode of Three Clips, which might still be clipped. See ya.
this week's recommended read on the Marketing Showrunners blog. An end-to-end guide to crafting an irresistible and original podcast premise. So here's the deal. Your show's premise is this great unlock for the show. Your choices get so much clearer and better, and the audience self-selects that the show is for them and sticks around because they can anticipate a great journey. Your show's premise is a great unlock. And your show's premise is a combination of two things, what you explore and how you explore it. But most shows stop at explaining what they explore. However, by articulating how your show explores it, you give your audience a reason why they should care. We can use a simple four-step system, four different heuristics stacked back-to-back to develop our show and articulate a better premise. So read this post called An End-to-End Guide to Crafting an Irresistible and Original Podcast Premise. Check your show notes for the link or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.